I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. All right, joining me today, I have Timothy Taze. He is the author of Wannabe Distance God, The Thirst, Angst, and Passion of Running in the Chase Pack. Uh, He's a graduate of Eldorado. He ran for Kansas. He ran for the Army. He's a psychologist now. It's an amazing book. I'll put a link to where you can purchase it, you know, in the show notes. But uh, thank you for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Seth, thank you for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I know you, I, I talked to you a little bit about this before. I don't want to get too far into the things you cover into the book, but, you know, I always ask how you got started in, in running. So well, if you want to give a little bit of that. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I, I, what I found when I was, you know, when I wrote the books, this like thinking, I want to tell my story. I don't know if anyone would be interested, what ended up happening is that, you know, the personal is universal. So when I told about why I found distance running, it's like, you know, I was getting picked last in PE and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't good at, you know, sports with balls, but I, I still, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be somebody and I knew that I could run. So I went out with to the, with the eighth grade track team, just wanting to be somebody, right? Because I could do nothing. And then I, want, I, I wanted to run like Dave Waddle, you know, the, the great Olympian who won the Olympic 800 in 72, I think. So um, I, I ran that eight, that 880 and um, I won. And my whole life changed because all of a sudden from being like nobody um, who wasn't good at sports to where I had a bunch of guys who wanted to be with me. And I was good at a sport at least at, at a <laughs> At distance running. So from then I was hooked like an addiction and I ran as much as I could for as long as I could. There's something about, you know, cross country teams and kids, like even if even if you're not the best, like you can just find your group there. Like the kids are just mostly so welcoming and will bring you in. And so um, I know I felt like that too when I was when I first joined because it's it was just like for for a minute there I was like oh I think I found my people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, and for everyone to get out there and to do something that is so grueling, you know, but you do it together, you go through the, the flames together. I'll tell you, I still still to this day, you know, forty and fifty years later, uh, my best friends are distance runners from junior high and high school and college. Yeah, I, there's that camaraderie, like you said. Yeah, you're going through something together, and whether it's you know middle school, high school, college, or after, you know these running groups you you join in, these friends you get together, and you're just putting miles together. It's it's a hard thing to to explain to a non runner. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and in, in I truthfully, I wasn't really sure exactly what I was supposed to be pulling out of the book I was actually writing. I was just telling my story because I wanted to. And at the end, what I realized, it wasn't really about uh, all these races. What it was really about is going through the process that was grueling with my distance running brothers uh, and the relationships and, and overcoming all the trials through all of that together. That's really what I pulled out. But I, I tell you, Steph, at the time, I wasn't really aware of that. I mean, I, I I pretty much only hung around distance runners, but I, I thought what was important was running, you know, PRs and, and winning races. Now I see it was these relationships that I had cultivated. Well, and I think that's the one thing that is so fun about the book. And and I told you, and I'll, I'll tell you, like I'm halfway through the book. I haven't quite finished it, but I am enthralled. Like I will finish it, you know, before this episode airs because it is like there's so much about it that I can relate to as, you know, high school runner. And, and even now where I'm running, running at now, like that feeling, that pursuit, but also those miles with with the people around you and 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 that shared experience that you have with people that just is um, 
it just brings these relationships so much closer. Yeah, I certainly experienced that. When I was coaching at Manzano uh, in the early 90s, you know, I did try and remind the kids that, you know, this is really about, you know, doing your best, being your best person, but also, you know, these relationships. You may be with lifelong friends right now as you're getting through these workouts that I, poor kids, I put them through. <laughs> well, hearing about some of the workouts that, that you did in the book, it's just, uh, you know, but it, it's it's crazy. It's it's the same kind of thing, you know, even now, like, except, you know, it was, it was different at that time. You didn't have the internet, you didn't have Strava, you didn't have all these things that, all these workouts out there, you were just reading of what all these these top dogs were were doing and it's 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 pretty amazing because even now like i mean i could have a kid here in albuquerque who's following the top kid in california or new york or you know pro runners around the world posting these workouts and it's um it is insane the amount of knowledge that is just at our fingertips now well if they had had the internet in my day i would have I would have been in, in heaven because back, <laughs> back in those days, we didn't have all that information. You got track and field news, you know, like what was that once a month? And, <laughs> and we just, we just consumed it. And we didn't really read much of runner's world because it seemed like it was for joggers and that offended us. Right. <laughs> uh, these days there's just so, so much information. I would have loved that. And in the music you can get these days, like free music in my day, it was expensive to buy albums. Right. You know, things just really have gotten a whole lot better, but I would have gone crazy with it. But back to my my training. So in high school, my high school coach actually had been a guy who trained under Bob Timmons at Kansas. So I was doing Kansas workouts scaled back by, you know, uh, 70% probably right. uh, while I was in high school. So I understood the workouts. Then I went to Kansas. They were Bob Timmons workouts. And they were really overblown. They were Jim Ryan workouts. And Jim Ryan, I mean, he obviously thrived under them. Um, and the rest of us, we got through them. But a lot of guys did not get through it. They burned out. They got injured. And we just figured the harder you work, the better you get. I understand it's archaic and it's not what we do today. Thank goodness. But that's absolutely <laughs> what we did at Kansas, you know, in the in the late 70s and early 80s. No, and, it's, and it's, it is crazy. Like, there is still some of that mentality to to an extent um but i i've even you know i've i've coached kids myself who who have that mentality like oh well this is what they're doing i've got to work harder i've got to do more i've got to do and it, it's it's fascinating because that is more almost more rare now like you know, definitely even when I was running in, in the late nineties, it was definitely, well, what's, what's this person doing? What's, what are they doing? What's Gallup doing? You know, what's Los Alamos for us? Because, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to be them. We wanted to beat them. We wanted to be at the top of the food chain. No kidding. And if all it took was just working harder then that's it. Of course, of course we know it's more than that, but when I would read about and hear about this is back in the seventies, remember, these guys, these Australians, these New Zealanders running between 140 and 200 miles a week. I'm thinking, what the heck? Because for me, I mean, I actually in high school ran a couple hundred mile weeks. And that's I know that's outrageous and the kid should be doing that. But I did plenty of them after college. And I just thought, what is wrong with me? Because for me to put in 100 miles a week, I mean, 15 miles a day is a, a real stretch. I couldn't imagine these people running 140 to 120 but that's what a lot of these champions were doing no and it, and it's crazy like and then that's the thing like i i know even again even and even when i was running in the 90s there were definitely kids putting in you know 90 to 100 mile weeks in high school because it was you know that's just still you you put in that was the work you did you still did the speed but you had to get that mileage in and yeah. you know now that's you know the the script is completely flipped and you know you can see that there's so many different ways to do it but you know at at the time like yeah it was you you had to you had to get those runs in you had to get those long runs in but i even think about like albuquerque at that time like in reading in your book like you could leave manzano and you guys were basically on on packed dirt you weren't necessarily running on the asphalt 
and all of that stuff all the time. Whereas now, like you're, unless you drive out to the foothills or some of these other places, you're, you're running on, on asphalt, you know, 50 to 80% of the time. Yeah. We put in most of our mileage up in the, you know, at El Dorado and Manzano too. We just go up into the foothills because the houses back then hadn't been built all the way up to the Sandia Mountains. So there was all this land that you could just run as far as you wanted, all on um, mainly clay, but you know, a little bit of sand. Yeah, I, I, that's that's fascinating. <laughs> so you you said you 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 know you didn't have this overarching idea when you wrote the book. You just kind of wanted to tell your story. I guess, what compelled you to want to write your story? Well, okay, so I was an English major in college, and I always wanted to be a novelist, and I was never successful as a novelist. <laughs> and eventually, I just got to the point of saying, I don't really know what I have to say. All I really want to say, like I, what I wanted to do was write about distance running because I love it so much. But I wasn't elite. I think in a very technical way, I would be considered sub-elite or maybe top 2% by my times on on the roads afterwards. But I, you know, I mean, who, who wants to read about me? They want to read about <laughs> um, uh, Bill Rogers and Billy Mills and, and guys like that, Al Salazar. But I thought all I can really tell is my story. And my story is about running in the chase pack because I wasn't, listen, I was, I was not one of those guys lost way back in the field. Like most, most of us, like I am these days, but you know, I was a guy, the chase pack. So I got to, see and run against the fast guys and measure myself against them you know but typically what would happen is you know that the elite runners would break off into their lead pack and and i would i I couldn't stay with them they'd be running splits that were my prs so of course i had to let them go but it was really cool just to see them like even running boston marathon back in 83 you know i was pretty close to the front of the start but not not in in the front but i saw those studs up there you know, jogging and shaking hands and getting ready to go. And it just felt really cool to be a part of it. And it really, you know, whetted my appetite to just a little bit faster, you know, and maybe I can actually run with them. So I wanted to tell that story of what it was like to do everything because it's not like I cut corners. I mean, I did everything that I thought I was supposed to do. I put in a lot of miles, hard miles, um, and I still didn't get there. I mean, the flip to the end of the, uh, you know, what was really going on. I didn't have the talent that those guys have. I mean, I feel like I ran, I think I worked as hard as I possibly could have worked, even to the point of diminishing returns and breaking down and, you know, whatever. So it wasn't effort. But I mean, the, the dirty secret is these people who are these elite runners are dripping with talent, you know, and um, it, some people just don't like to admit it because we don't want to tell our younger people, well, come on, you, we know pretty quickly if you have that sort of talent, right? But you still want them to try, you know, like right. uh, get out there and do the best, be the best you can be. But it's hard, like when you're probably several Mara or Tim Tays to think, well, may- maybe I don't have I don't have the talent. I mean, because that's something it's it's hard to swallow. I when, abs- you're in, when you're deep into it, it's you know, what do you do? Right. No, I, I completely agree with you. Like, I still I still have a hard time saying that. Like to, to, to say like, oh, that person's just more talented than me is a hard thing to say then. Uh, they've, they've had more time. They've, you know, they've put in the work. I haven't. I've had this. I've had breaks, you know, this and that. Because it is, it's, it's hard to, you know, just tell yourself, yeah, I'm never going to be that good. Yeah. And, but aren't you, aren't you glad you tried? I mean, I, I feel really good that I tried. Um, rather than not knowing, I guess. Yeah, no, I think, I, and I and I think that's what I part of the reason I like that book is that, you know, one you do acknowledge that because, like you said, you had, you had a teammate, you two were doing the exact same things, you know, even putting in the extra work and all that, and you were still, you know, had that gap with him, and and acknowledging that, you know, I think is is important but still trying to pursue, well, okay, maybe I can't be that, but how good can I be is just a worthwhile pursuit and reading about your journey in that. And, um, and then, and then even the family stuff that goes along with that is just pretty, 
it's it's common. It 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 feels like I can relate to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad that yeah that that was my goal in, in you know as I was telling my story, and I wanted to tell the story like here's what happens through the um, competitive strata, because you know even though I won the eighth grade time trial and I thought oh this is pretty great right obviously it was on talent because I hadn't been training exactly a couple of miles here and there but then in El Dorado. You know, I felt like, wow, I, I must be really good because, you know, school record. I won the, the city two mile and the city mile and set records and all this. So I thought, wow, wow, I must be really, really good. Then I went to Division One racing and those studs slapped me down really fast. Let me tell you, you know, it, uh, every because when I went to the Kansas track team, there were there were guys. We had a, a guy who ran 846 two mile out of high school. Another guy at 907, another guy at 908. Anyway, they were just really, really fast. So all of a sudden, I was just um, middle of the pack on my own team. So then you work hard for you know four or five years, and you raise back up. You get pretty good at the D1 level. Go off to the wide open roads, right? And now we're running against the big boys, the Olympians, the world record holders, and they don't even know I'm in the race. I mean, they they start off ahead. I could, you know, I wasn't one of those guys who'd like run you know run start out really fast and try and get in the photographs and like <laughs> look at me running with with bill rogers and paul cummings and these i i wasn't you know clown enough to do that but i did see them up there and, and just thought you know they were just better from the start i knew i was 23 right i knew boy i have to make another big leap like the leap from el Dorado to kansas i had to make that leap from kansas to trying to be a professional road racer i i, I couldn't make the leap they were just way too fast and ran and i'm just reminded of, of running the cherry blossom 1983 and greg meyer he was so far ahead i ran 48 56 i'm feeling pretty good about that but it was only 15th place meyer he fell down still got up ran 46 13 an american record i'm like you know what he he doesn't even know who the guy got 15th place was he's <laughs> falling down still sitting the american record now that's dripping with talent Oh, by the way, a few weeks later, he won the Boston Marathon. That's what I was up against. But you know right. what? To measure myself against him was, was pretty cool. Right. And the, and it's and it's so – I think every runner has felt that, whether they're 15th or 50th. Like, they're measuring themselves against someone else in there. And, you know, it's, it's, it's something, you know, I, I – I try to tell my, you know, some of my kids now that I coach, I try to remind myself of this, you know, I'm looking at these guys ahead of me and there's plenty of people who would want to be where I'm at or where my kids at or where you were at the time, because, you know, you were so far ahead of them. And yet it's still, it still wasn't enough because, you know, you're looking at that next, that next group. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's just all relative. You know, because I've talked to, you know, talked to these guys who, who really are distance gods. For example, the guy that you've interviewed, Chuck Aragon. So I ran against him in high school, and he he was great. He ran 149.800 in high school for wow. Las Lunas. If he had super spikes, he would have run faster, but we won't get into that. The thing is, <laughs> I, we vacationed with him. He, he, our wives are good friends, and we're good friends. You know, and, and I ask him, you know, like what it was like, et cetera. He'll tell me what it was like. But the thing is, though, he was competing, obviously, at 351 miler. He was competing on the international level. He even went to Worlds in, shoot, I don't know if it's 86. I don't remember when it was. But he's like, he, he feels, he, he, he didn't qualify for the U.S. Olympic team. He was fourth place at the trials. Right. He just feels like he let everyone down. And I'm like, Chuck, come on, man. I mean. You were a distance god, but we—he just knows the people who beat him, right? The people right. who ran faster and did make the Olympic team. Even though my opinion is he should have made the Olympic team. Uh, my my dad feels the same way. He uh, um, he actually him and some friends went to that Olympics and they had taken a a sheet that said you know something like let Chuck run or Chuck should be in there or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's told me all about that story, and it's um, it's crazy, <laughs> absolutely yeah. crazy. Yeah. So the the story should I tell the story, Seb, or do we already know the story? You know what? I because I don't I don't think I got Chuck to really talk about it. So I'll, yeah. I'll let you. I listened to that interview. He didn't talk about it, but he, it used to really hurt him a lot. But we've talked about. It. I think he's more 
he, he can accept it more now, even though it it really sucks for him. But he got fourth in the U.S. Olympic trials in the 1500, but falling down, leaning at the finish line against Sydney Marie, who is obviously a great runner. I think former American record holder. But Sydney came between the trials and the Olympics, came up injured, but he didn't tell anybody because, you know, it would, sure, it would hurt his shoe contract. Um so the, the Americans only took two runners in the 1500 to the Olympics. If they'd taken the alternate, it would have been Chuck. Right. But instead they took a sprinter or something, you know, they'd had that option. And I'm like, doggone, they could have taken Chuck. And I, I'm biased, but I think they should have taken Chuck. <laughs> I mean, I agree. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those once in a lifetime opportunities that, you know, he got shorted on for, you know, for, for no, no good reason. Yeah. And, and well, for a long time, like he, he, he really, really hurt him. So, of course, being a psychologist and his buddy, I had to bring it up and <laughs> talk about it. Like, you know, it, the rumor is like he would he'd tear off, you know, mattresses, like they have that tag with the Olympic symbols on it sometimes. Like he'd tear it off. He just couldn't stand to be reminded of it. <laughs> and I told him, you know, Chuck, I totally get it. You know, I totally, I think I'd feel exactly the same way if I were you. <laughs> It's um yeah I I I couldn't couldn't even imagine you know but he he had an amazing career and I mean obviously him and his wife have have helped create some amazingly talented girls as well that are just out there killing it yeah they, the the daughters are are really they, they're not only great runners and but they're wonderful people yeah um, we Danny Aragon comes down like. She trains out of Flagstaff, so she'll come down here and she'll stay with us when she wants low-altitude track training. And she is wonderful, but when she talks about how they train versus I remember how I train, they train what's much more reasonably. Um, and, <laughs> oh, by the way, they, they, don't, they don't go out and, and, and overindulge in beer. Uh, they watch <laughs> their diet. They get enough sleep. They, I mean, they take it. I mean, they, their life revolves around it. And although I felt like at her age, my life revolved around it. I, I would, I would still do things. And at the time, I mean, it's not like all my buddies weren't also out there, you know, drinking beer, chugging pitch, pitchers, staying out late, and having a good time. Oh, by the way, getting up and doing a hard twenty miler the next day anyway. Right. And that's and that's what's so fascinating to me, like. You know, between that that early '80s into now, like how much more is kind of known? Like you talk about it in the book, and my my dad's talked to me, and like I, I talked to these people who ran these marathons in in the '80s and stuff, and even the early '90s. And it's like, well, yeah, there wasn't really much water breaks, and we didn't we didn't really take water and. We didn't have yeah. the, you know, our nutrition packs and our gels and our mixes. It was just go out and run 26 miles. <laughs> That's right. Your dad is absolutely right. He would, he, obviously he was there. So it's like, if we got water and Gatorade every now and then out on a marathon course, felt lucky to get it. You know, if there were orange slices, like at Boston, they might be hand, tossing you orange slices or something. I mean, that was a big deal. But back then, what I thought, and I know I was ignorant, but what I thought at the time was by depriving myself of like, water and, and, and you know i was getting tougher right. you know, to run instead of fueling myself so forgive me i was 23 years old <laughs> oh you're 23 and you're doing what pretty much everybody else at the time i think was doing so <laughs> okay thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> you know it's just it's it's so fascinating i mean because i mean when you're out on your long runs it's not like you had these things you could just stick in your pockets and and go with no, you know that that the goo and all that they have these days. I mean, that's wonderful stuff. We just didn't have it back then. And I do remember a couple of guys jogging along, and they'd have like peanut butter in a baggie that they would sort of put a little hole in it and sit. And I'm thinking, I kind of thinking, oh no, I would never do something like that. To me, it just seemed like carrying water and having peanut butter is like, no, that's what the joggers do. It's not what the elites do. You know, and I was I was trying to imitate the elites as closely as possible. Anything it took to try and close that gap between the also runs and in the elites. Right. Right. And it's, and, and again, it's, it's crazy now because you, you, you can go on Instagram, you can go on YouTube and you can see what the elites are doing and, you know, they're running on these, 
long runs and they've got their whole crew out there and they're still taking their water, they're taking their energy and, you know, passing it back to these people in trucks, you know, who are, who are there to help them out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're, they're so great these days. You're like Ilya Kipchoge these days. Like when you look at his splits, his mile is 5k splits throughout a marathon. I, I, I just, I'm like, this can't be real. This guy's got to be a robot. I mean, to run, I mean, people, I, I don't, I don't know. I suppose when I talk about baseball or football, I, I'm absolutely clueless, right? And I probably say stupid things, <laughs> but people don't understand what, how phenomenal this guy, I mean, he is the goat of marathoning and right. like how phenomenal it is. That how, he, he averages like 437 a mile for over 26 miles. I mean, who does that? Right. It makes it look easy. Makes it look easy. I just, you know, it's, um, I, I've, I've watched a few things and it's, and it's, it's so funny, you know, the, we get these amazing camera angles for these races and these track meets and, and this, and because it's so, they, they're trying to provide you good race footage, you almost lose perspective of how fast these people are going. Yeah. Well, you know how you watch great athletes where maybe they're gymnasts or whatever they are, and it looks so easy, right? But that's what it is with, with these, these great distance runners. I mean, it looks so easy. Like, oh, that, that's nothing. Oh, I could do that. But then you look at like some, some spectator. He's running on the side trying to keep up with them, and you realize they're, they're just lying. And by the way, Seb, get in a race and try to run against these guys, and you will really be humbled. That's what right. happened to me. Like, oh, my gosh. These guys are so fast. Right, right. And and that but that journey you took to still like chase that. Like it's such a you know, I think there's a lot of us that, you know, leaving high school, leaving college, it's something, you know, you wanna do and it and it's but it's hard to do, right? Like you talk a little bit about it, like you you were basically <laughs> just just surviving to get to these races and whose couch you're going to, you're going to sleep on to, to chase this dream. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, I hate to name drop, but I, I think people would, would kind of like to hear, you know, but sometimes when the elite distance runners come because of our, uh, our Aragon connection, sometimes the runners will come down here and they'll stay with us because the Tazes are track fans. Right. So Molly Saito came down and stayed with us one night and I'm, I'm trying not to be all like starstruck. Right. And she's the nicest person ever. I bought a whole bunch of beer because I heard she liked beer. So a lot of different kinds of really craft beers and everything. But she she didn't want any of that because she was in training. She was right. like drinking some like special drink. And I think I'm sitting here around my fire pit talking to Molly Seidel. I mean, she just got third in the Olympics. And I, I'm blown away. You know, it, it's, it was just so fun. But, it, but my point is, I mean, here she was third in the Olympics, but she's crashing with us who were strangers at the time, crashing with us overnight. I mean, it's still tight for these great runners too. Right. Yeah, that's true. And it's amazing hearing you talk about it, you know, and, and hearing you still get excited about meeting these, these great runners, you know, you, you talk in the book about kind of being away from running for a while because, you know, you, you couldn't do it you know, how did you come back to terms? And maybe that's something that comes later in the book. I got into, but how do you, how did you come back to terms of like, from, from just cutting this out of your life? Um, cutting distance running out of my life. Like just like, cause you, you had talked in there about like, you just had to put everything away, like all your trophies, you didn't follow it. You oh. didn't do anything. Oh, Seb, it was so hard. It was so hard because I, I even just because I got injured, Right. You know, in the army when I was on the army track team, it, it didn't change that I, you know, I was still the same guy. I still wanted to be elite. I still wanted to run. I simply couldn't. So it just sort of stayed with me. So what I did, I did what Chuck did. You know, when Chuck's not looking at the Olympic rings on a mattress <laughs> stack, I, I like, I, I, I quit listening in following distance running. It just hurt too much to follow it. All the races that I couldn't do, I sort of ig ignored it for a couple decades. Um, it just hurt too much to think, you know, I, I'm out of it. Finally, you know, it even got rid of my stuff. Like I, I regret that I threw away a lot of my running paraphernalia, even my running logs and everything. Cause I thought I would feel better if I did, but it didn't work because now I just regret that I threw it out. I'd love to still right. have that stuff, but I, you know, it, it sort of, um, 
so what I decided to do as a psychologist, I need, I need to do some exposures. So then I came back and I, I started coaching distance running. And then I also started going back and jogging and uh, up my mileage, got back and, and ran a marathon. I think I ran a 318 and that got me back to Boston. So from 1983 to 2011, I got back to Boston and ran again. And in the end, it just sort of brought me full circle to realize, you know, it's really about you know, the love of running and the whole process, like obviously it, uh, whether I was 53 or now I'm 63, you know, it, it's like there's no way I'm going to be elite, but I still get all the fun out of it. In fact, people, you know, my family and the air guys, they tease me about how excited I get about distance running because <laughs> I know, Seb, I know these people are just people like you and me. I get it, but yeah. it's fun, you know, to, to say, wow, you ran that fast and you were at the world championships, you were at the Olympics, you won this and that. I mean, to me, it's just, fun the way i guess normal people watch football and baseball and basketball and it's fun they get into it right so why can't i get into distance running right (laughs) (laughs) Um, i mean i'm right there with you i'm following these people and and reading articles and how what did this person do and oh my god that's amazing and wow this person had an off race i wonder what happened oh it was you know like just getting into it and it's just and it's and it's amazing now, you know, like you talked about, you know, Runner's World and, and um, uh, the other magazines at the time. And now like, you can actually follow the, the, the runners and you can, you know, read so many different podcasts, listen to podcasts and all this stuff and hear what they're doing. And it's just uh, the stories are so compelling. Yeah, it is. I, I'm really into it. I, I read Let's uh, Run every morning just to see what, what's going on. And it's, I, I enjoy it. I mean, some, you know, I don't, I don't read other sports. I'm pretty clueless, but I do follow distance running. I, I don't even follow, I mean, obviously I follow all of track and field, but I, I follow a lot, lot less, you know, if it's the hammer or the javelin and a little bit more, if it's the high jump and then a whole lot more, if it's sprinting, then a whole lot more, if it's middle distancing, but I'm a fanatic if it's distance running. Right. So really I'm pretty cultist when it comes to distance running. Yeah, and I'm the same way, and, and I got kind of into uh, shot put more recently just because we had um, uh, Chase Ely out of Los Alamos who just won Worlds, and, and that was oh amazing gosh. to see, you know, and and just kind of following that along. It's just, you know, having a New Mexican out there and, and just competing again with the best of the best is is just adds that extra excitement for me. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm right with you. So, you know, it's, it's so interesting, you know, I, I think it's something that comes up a lot for people, you know, when they're, again, whether it's high school, college, after running, you know, semi-pro, pro for a while, like that identity gets so wrapped up in, in what they do. And in this case, running, you know, mm-hmm. and then having to come to terms with that idea of like, if I'm not a runner, then who am I? What am I? <laughs> And yeah. are you that way? I am. I am. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm not the only one then. Yeah. So when I got hurt and I had to quit distance running, I'm this tall, skinny guy who was not a distance runner. <laughs> yeah, so, so now what do I do? And I really did lose my identity because if I wasn't like, you know, a kick-ass distance runner, you know, who was I? You know, it, it was tough. It, what it did, what it, it forced me to expand my life. And that's when I became a teacher and a coach and later a psychologist. You know, but even today... You know, people, because of my book, people are like, you know, who, who only know me like is, you know, middle-aged men. They're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you're that distance runner, right? And I go, yeah, I'm that distance runner. And I'm a little bit, a little bit embarrassing to say it because I don't really look, I mean, I'm 190 pounds now. So I, I don't really look like some great distance runner. Uh, but I am, you know, at heart, I am still a distance runner. Yeah, I think, you know, I took a long break from running too. And it, and it was, it was this hard like disconnect you know kind of like what you're saying like i still feel like a runner but am i a runner (laughs) and so you know yeah i'm sure you know like going through that um do you work with any athletes in your profession now no seb i i coached at manzano high school from i think 88 to 92 um maybe 93 often then and uh, it, it was wonderful, but after we left for my wife, you know, my wife had to do her internship, then her residency in anesthesia. 
And then I had to go back to, you know, I went back to graduate school. No, the answer is no. I, I left distance running. Uh, I left coaching. And now I'm just uh, some guy who follows distance running as closely as I can. <laughs> did, uh, did coaching scratch some of that itch that you had from your competitive days? It, it did. And, and, and it's what was interesting is I brought, obviously, the way I was trained back with high school with uh, Steve Silverberg. By the way, he was Bill Silverberg at UNM's. It was his little brother. And Bill Silverberg was irritated that his brother, his little brother, who had a distance runner El Rod, did not go to New Mexico. Thing <laughs> is, I wanted my dream was to go to Kansas, so I went to Kansas. Anyway, so but also Bob Timmons, right? The the, the famous coach Tim Ryan's coach at Kansas. Right. So that was those were my mentors, and and they're the ones who taught me. Here's here's how you train a distance runner. So I brought that to Manzano. The thing is, though, I think I was too hard. I think I trained as an athlete too hard. And I think I trained those kids at first a little bit too hard. But as I went, I trained about, I think I coached five seasons. So over those seasons, I, as I, you know, I grew along with the kids and I began scaling things back. Now, granted, when I was their age, I was doing six miles in the morning and coming out and doing a hard workout in the afternoon sometimes throwing in a hundred mile a week. And this is in high school and that's too much. And, and, and I had to grow and learn all of that with these kids, but I ended up getting, having a state champion two miler, John Biles, um, state champion miler, John Biles, you know, so, but by scaling back, of course they were dripping with talent to it. That was right. helpful. Um, but I grew along with them. Plus I realized I was, you know, trying to um, motivate them on the track and, and like really, you know, saying things sometimes i thought wow it's it's so aggressive you're like we're in a war or something so <laughs> i learned to scale that back too because i was so freaking competitive when, when i you'll see it in the book but i was yeah. so competitive it was over the top competitive but i thought well this is what you need to be i mean if you want to be good this is what you have to be and although it's helpful it's not really necessary because hearkening back to these these aragons that we know i know all, all of them and they're great runners but and they're competitive but right. they turn it off, right? And, and at the end of a race, you what they do, they hug their competitors. Like, you pretty much didn't see me hugging a competitor <laughs> at the end of a race, especially if they beat me, because it meant now I had to get revenge. Right. <laughs> so I, I scaled that back. Now it's more about more important things in, in track and distance running and, and getting the most out of ourselves. Did, what were... I, some of your memories of some of the things your your coach would tell you to to get you moving back in in that time. <laughs> well, um, Coach Timmons would always be yelling. He he, would, he was helpful. Like he'd always be yelling because I used to I overstrode over when I was an athlete. So Bill Silver, Steve Silverberg would tell me, you know, shorten your stride, and I ignored him because I thought, well, a stride, an athlete stride is natural you don't want to mess with their stride so i didn't listen to them which was wrong because if i had shortened my stride i would have been a better runner i believe today but bob timmons would tell me you know shorten your stride maintain contact you'll keep your legs turning over faster because i'd over stride and not turn my legs over faster and i would tire out but finally i learned that lesson by the time i you know i was like a junior and senior in college and guess what I actually did i did run a little bit faster i mean my stubbornness was helpful when it came to distance running because <laughs> it didn't matter what the weather was what the time was i'm getting my miles in right on the other hand that stubbornness worked against me when it's time to be smart about it like shortening your stride you know and, and getting ready to, to strike stay behind you know somebody and draft off of them rather than going to the lead and trying to burn them off you know which is typically what i'd try to do <laughs> well, I think that's so, you know, distance running is you have, you have to be a stubborn person because it's going to hurt whether it's a race or a long run, like you're going to feel uncomfortable and you have to be able to stick with it. But yeah, you have to be able to shut it off to know <laughs> when, when was going to be the right time to like, no, I got to listen to this person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I would do things differently. You know, another thing, you know, when I made my, my big comeback at 50 years old, like, uh, the same old feelings of competitiveness and stubbornness came right back. And it didn't make sense because that's all I knew. But then I thought I know better, but it still feels like I got to just gut it out and, and add more miles. Even when my body, especially at 50, it was 
giving me signals that this is not a good idea. You need to trade a little bit smarter now. Right. I, I mean, she's getting older is, I mean, I could, when I was younger, I could just go out and I could just crush a workout. I could barely warm up. And now if I'm going to do a workout, I, I better do my stretches. I better do some strides because if I just try to jump into it, it is, I, I'm going to be hurting for a while. Yeah. Now, now, you know, I'm actually um, becoming okay with jogging and calling myself a, a jogger because really when you're running eight, nine minute pace, that's jogging. You know, I need to accept that. <laughs> but it still feels like I'm going fast. So at least there's that. Hey, that it's that perspective again, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you you just got to look at the other at the other guys your age in front of you. Don't worry about those young bucks. <laughs> well, I noticed you say your age, but that's back when I when I was you know a young guy. It's like I I did not pay any attention to age groups, only the overall win, which is of course what we do when we're in our early twenties, right? And I couldn't even imagine like age group wins. Who cares about that, you know? And it's. I, I don't know. I was, it's just very, very dogged, very inflexible, and very young. I've grown up a lot since then, Seb. So. <laughs> well, life, what life you... forced me to grow up. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, what would you tell if you if you had a if you were coaching now and you had a young, overzealous kid who just wanted to go out there and and just put in the miles and and work harder than everybody else. What would you be your advice to them, you know, knowing everything that you know now? Well, I, I, I think the overarching message was, you know, keep the passion, keep the flame, but learn how to guide it, you know, in a way that works best for you rather than just flaming out. Because basically I ran so many miles in the end, I flamed out. And, you know, I, so I was done. Um, when I got hurt is because I was, I was racing at, uh, the all army championships in a 10,000 on the track. And I developed a bit uh, blister on my left heel, and it, I was running in second place. So instead of dropping out, which I should have done, I, I kept running, and I ended up second. But um, it ended my career it was that bad of a blister. So obviously, I should have dropped out. Wow. But I had never dropped out of a race, and I can tell you today, I've never dropped out of out of a race. And I used to say that with pride, but now I say it with sort of um, contriteness because I should have dropped out of a race because maybe I could have kept running for longer so i would tell a kid you know yes run run hard when it's time to run hard but run smart to get everything right that's that's why you have a coach and be my job as a coach to help them get that perspective but you know you having a passionate athlete i mean that's a good start coach timmons used, used to tell us you know but he wanted were competitors he'd always say ah, a competitor because he knew you know if you've got that fire He's got something to work with, but if you didn't have the fire, it didn't matter how talented you were. What, what do you have to work with? I, absolutely, I I, <laughs> I think I got to agree with that completely. It's you can have all the talent in the world, but if if you don't have the passion for it, it's it's meaningless. Yeah. Wow, that's it's you know. So you're so you're not running. Uh, you you said you jog, but you don't do any races right now. I don't. In fact, I don't even jog that often. It, it comes, in, it ebbs and flows. I mean, uh, right now, like, because I live in Scottsdale, it's just been too hot. I mean, it's 115 degrees. It's starting to cool off now. Um, I, you know, sometimes I would run in, in the heat, but only a couple miles. You know, I, like, I think when I think about it, I'm like, hey, dude, I, two miles. I mean, I can do four or five. I don't care if it's 100, 105. All that is is a better workout, right? But then, you know, you hear stories about people my age having heat stroke and having problems. And I think, you know what, is this one of those examples where you got to be smart and not bullheaded? You know, so I'm trying to be smarter these days. I don't I don't feel my age, Seb, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to drop that either. And just, uh, I mean, it's for something that I, I can avoid just by waiting till it cools off, and then I'll get back at it. Right. Well, I, I love that. I think it's... <laughs> Maybe that's growth. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, let's call it growth. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's, I mean, I think it's fantastic to to understand that and understand, you know, not feeling your age, but still being, you know, cognizant of of, of it and, and being smart. So, 
you know, that's, that's great. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I still want, I love watching these young guys around these, these young women. Like actually I did pretty much a tits, but in my day, like when I was in high school, uh, title nine, that was like really new stuff. When I ran for El Dorado, they didn't even have a, a girls track team until I think my junior or senior year. And obviously now women's distance running, thank goodness, like is a big deal, but I had to learn, you know, to understand women's distance running. And boy, I, I am really into it these days. I mean, it's, I get as excited about the big women's races as I, as I do the men's races. So all it's really done personally for me is given me twice as much distance running to enjoy. That's awesome. I, I, and I find it, you know, and obviously I grew up, I mean, there's tons of girls running around me and some of, I mean, amazing. And I, I coach girls now and there are some just amazing athletes in New Mexico right now. And you know, it's, it's fun to watch them and it's fun to watch them compete against each other and, and not, <laughs> they're competitive when it, when it counts, but I, I feel like the girls are, they have an easier time knowing when to turn it off sometimes than, than some of the boys. I, I will say <laughs> they're our, getting it right. <laughs> yeah. I will say a lot of the boys are getting better at it, but it, it I think it just comes more naturally to the girls. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're right about that. But it's, I'm trying to get more that way. <laughs> so what do you what do you get what do you get competitive now about if you're not racing? Ooh, well, <laughs> in general, I try not to be competitive. <laughs> uh, but I did. Uh, maybe I have to be embarrassed to tell you. I tried pickleball <laughs> oh. last weekend. Isn't that what old people play? So anyway, I tried pickleball. And um, I wasn't very good, so it pulled up all those old <laughs> grade school PE memories yeah. <laughs> and all of that. And other you know women said, "Oh, why don't you try getting a little bit closer to the net?" And the other woman says, "Why don't you try standing further away from the net?" And I'm like, "Okay, great. I guess they're really what it, that's code for you still suck, Tim. You're still not really getting it it done." But anyway, so I tried pickleball, but this competitiveness in me still comes up to where I want to really be good and beat the, the strangers beat these people at pickleball <laughs> and i'm thinking okay tim you can back off on this because really i'm only here to get a workout in right. it doesn't matter who wins or loses at your gym right <laughs> playing pickleball but i i have the same feelings and and i don't know if it ever goes away I, i'll tell you someday step you know you get older and then it goes away but i'm 63 and it hasn't gone away yet <laughs> i still feel competitive when i get in those sports situations and, and that's so amazing to me like how competitive like you know again like you were you i think i just got to a part where you're talking about being like the top ranked two miler and and you ended up losing the the state meet and and talking about some of these races and and this competitiveness like ah well i've got to beat him i've got to be better than him i've got to be and it's and it's it's i don't know it's <laughs> It's funny and it's fun, like these characteristics that just stick with us, I guess. And yeah. and you have to learn how to how to manage them, you know. And so hearing you kind of talk through how you're like, no, I just I I need to put this in perspective is 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 pretty neat because I think we all need to learn that in in certain different aspects in our life, right? Yeah, absolutely, you're right. Plus, I you know now I'm thinking a little bit deeper, like. So I understand why was I so competitive when I was young, right? And why am I still competitive? Well, deep down, it's like, well, you got to be competitive and beat people to prove that you're a good enough human being. And I'm like, wait a minute, do I still need to prove that at, <laughs> at this age? I mean, really, I don't. But emotionally, it still tries to you know, flare up. And, and I think I touch about, yeah, I, I touch on that in my book. But it's still sort of an ongoing issue. But the thing is, though, so even in you know my psychotherapy practice, a real common theme is people, depending on the domain or you know what they're doing, the activity, you know these feelings of I'm not good enough, you know, flare up, and people want to defend themselves. And sometimes it looks like just being real defensive or real competitive, you know, to prove to the world, you know, I, I am a worthwhile human being. It's, it's not necessary because we are, but still feel it. I. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know, I know, I like, I, I, you, 
like I've talked to, you know, we've talked around the book a lot because I don't want to ruin things for people who pick, who pick it up. But I, I think that is a theme that, you know, it, it is one of those themes that I think a lot of people can relate to. I know I can relate to, like, I feel good enough when I'm out there competing. I know that I'm, I'm putting myself in a position. I know that I was good enough to beat some of these people I raced against and it, and it feels good. Like, Oh, I can do this. I am, yeah. like you said, I'm worthwhile. <laughs> I yeah. And, and, and it's, and it's that it's something that sticks with you. Yeah. I think it's just the human condition. It's our job to try and grow through it. So if I, you know, if I meet someone who, who is so Zen that, you know, they, they don't need, in fact, I have met people who they're not competitive. They're, they're still fine with themselves. There's a, that, that's a goal of mine. I could sort of get there, but I do have to remind myself. Right. Right. And obviously, like you said, it's an ongoing process. It's something you're, <laughs> you're still working on, but there's hope for us all. Yes, I think so. <laughs> um, what was it like, you know, being around some of those people in Kansas when you first got there? I was overwhelmed. I mean, cause they were, you know, I was, I was a 17 year old freshman at KU and all I knew, you know, I, I burned my ships when I went to Kansas, I couldn't come home. Um, so I, you know, living in a dorm with these guys who they had, they had beards, they were super fast. Their high school uh, PRs were way faster than mine. The college PRs were obviously you know, incredible. And somehow I had to make the team. I had to be up there. So it, it was a huge transition. Thing is, though, I mean, I was so determined, you know, because I, I didn't see any other way. I didn't see a way I, I could return home. To the truth, and this is unreasonable. My friends tell me that it was unreasonable. But even as a freshman, I felt like I have to make the cross-country team. Thank goodness it was a rebuilding team. So I, <laughs> I did run fifth, fifth and sixth man as a freshman, we only got seventh in the big eight conference championship, but it was important to me to be a part of it. So for that, that kept me going. And of course I, I improved every year. Um, but so many of these other guys, you know, either they flunked out or they just quit the team. It was too hard. They didn't make the team. So what's the point in going through all the workouts? Uh, I was fortunate that I was able to make the team right off. And I needed, I, I, I you know, I use that word needed. I needed, I thought I needed to make it right away and be on the team. I, I just would have been lost if, if I hadn't have been on the team. But it was overwhelming because the other guys, I mean, they, they were really good runners. They were like Kansas state champions and superstars. Um, so I just tried to stay with them and eventually I could. And then even a little bit longer, I was even beating them. So it's, but my idea was, you know, it's okay if I lose a race. You know, providing I'm running a PR because at least I'm going in the right direction. <laughs> One thing you mentioned, you know, kind of getting there too was that homesickness. And I think that's such a, I, I think the, a lot of kids go through that for sure. But it just sometimes feels like it's so huge in New Mexico. Like when kids leave and they're, they're out of the state because it is so different and and that becomes kind of a hard thing um obviously you 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 went all in on the running but how else did you kind of deal with with that portion of it i was i was terribly homesick my first semester away from uh away at school and what i would do i'd you know i'd leave my dorm and i'd just go out on a long run i thought if i just run and run and run and kind of inwardly cried that you know somehow i'd make it better but i didn't feel any better i still felt homesick i didn't know anybody but the thing is though thank goodness because i was a part of something i wasn't just some freshman who was away at school i was a freshman who was on the cross-country team so it, and we had to show up to practice you know timmy made sure of that right. so pretty quickly and then we had the trips on the cross-country team so pretty quickly i got to know this new group of people my gang and so by the time you know i come home for christmas break 1977 um i loved coming home and seeing my old high school buddies 
but I was pretty much no longer homesick. You know, I, I was excited to get back to school because now I had this new game, you know, this, this Kansas cross-country game, and I was ready to get back with them. And it was, it was liberating to be away from home with no one telling me what to do. It was a bunch of fun, and I was living my dream, which was to run at a D1 school and, and try and be a, an NCAA All-American, if not a champion, and on my way to being an Olympic champion, you know, living the dream. It was hard, but I'm glad I did. I look back on the 17 and 18 year old me, and, and I'm glad I was uh, tenacious and, and determined because it was helpful because it, it was hard. Yeah, that I mean, it sounds tough, and is, <laughs> but it's it's a, again, it's it's amazing that you were you were able to stick it out, and um, you know, again, kind of getting through those workouts that were similar, but on a whole other scale from your high school workouts. <laughs> well, they, they were scaled up times three. I mean, in cross country, we literally did 10 times a mile on the roads. And that doesn't count the warm up, the warm down, or uh, the half mile we had to run, you know, really fast. Because Timmy wanted us to practice going out fast because he had read that where you are the first half mile in a cross country race is generally where you finish. So he wow. made us go out super fast thinking we would hold that position. So, okay, so we'd, we'd jog a mile, we'd run a fast half mile, then we did 10 times a mile, then we warmed down a half mile, then go home and do your homework. Now, when track season rolled around, we'd do 24 times uh, 440 and on a one-minute rest interval. So every two minutes, you had to get one quarter in. However fast you've ran a 60, you had 60 seconds, seconds rest, right? But we, weren't run, we were running more like 65s. So a 55 seconds rest. And it was just grueling. You just couldn't think about it. You, you just had to put your mind on in neutral <laughs> and, and, and just make your legs run without thinking about it. And I, to me, these days, it sounds like too much. But at the time, I just thought, you know what? No one outworks us. Right. You know, when it comes down at the end of a race, no one's worked harder than me. So maybe I'll you know, nip them at the finish line. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, right? <laughs> That's what we thought. It is fascinating hearing some of these workouts because, I mean, there's definitely some people who are still doing that now, but it's for the most part, a lot, I think a lot of people are, are scaled back and, and looking at how fast they can get while still kind of keeping some of that longevity in um, on their mind as well. Yeah. Longevity is something I wish I had had. Basically, I, I ran competitively, competitively for 13 years, and it was a great 13 years. I, I wish I could have gone longer because I ended up having to quit at, I think I was 25 when I had to, I got injured and had to quit. And I really think, you know, my best years obviously would have been, uh, you know, 25 to 30, you know, if I could have stayed. But who knows? Who cares? I still wouldn't have been an elite runner. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> I just didn't have that kind of talent. The only one who cares is me. Yeah. <laughs> it's a sentiment that I think all of us feel like no one cares but me, but <laughs> but it is a universal sentiment. Like, man. <laughs> yeah, the things that I really, really cared about and still care about are distance running and reading and writing. Those are my things as an English major in college. So... The older I, I mean, I thought everybody should be fanatic about distance running and reading books. And uh, now, I mean, over the decades, that's been slapped out of me. I know most people don't really care about distance running at all. And in fact, most people don't even read a book after high school. statistics. They don't read a book after high school, even after college. Uh, but I do. I mean, to me, those are still, those are just my things. But I think, I guess the things I like aren't really mainstream stuff, you know. <laughs> It made me feel different and weird when I was a kid, but at least, you know, I had a bunch of my distance running brothers who were different and weird with me. Right. <laughs> we're always looking for that group, but I think, you know, and it's so much easier now for kids and, and I mean, anybody in general to find that group. Cause even if you don't have that physical group, you can find it online and find those people who share those, those connections, whether it's running, reading combination of, you know, whatever it is, it's, you can find people that are that are into what you're into, which is, I mean, that that part of the internet is pretty awesome. Well, and it's some way that we belong. I mean, I, Seb, I, I you know, I, I shudder to think 
how I might have ended up if, if I hadn't discovered distance running. For example, if junior high, Jackson Junior High, or Royal Dorado High School, if there had been track teams, and like if I, I probably would have just um, back then we called them jocks and freaks and cow and stompers and you know like so, but I probably would have been a freak. You know, I probably would have partied and hung out with my buddies and gone that direction. Who know? I probably would have gone to college because I was really into English reading and writing that whole thing. Um, but instead, I identified and hung around the jocks or the distance runners, and it kept me, you know, doing more of the right thing than probably I would have done if I wasn't an athlete. You know, so in some ways, I, I wonder if distance running saved my life. It certainly has made my life, it's enriched my life, but it, I think it's made my life a, a whole lot better than it would have been simply by being a distance runner. That is, I think, a sentiment that a lot of runners can can come to, whether they started in middle school or if they're starting in their 40s. I think there, you know, there's just something to that that peace it can give you that in meditation almost like there's a lot of things it can give you and i think that's a a great sentiment to to kind of wrap up on and just kind of encapsulates everything (laughs) well that's my story seven i'm sticking to it (laughs) well obviously i mean i know there's a lot more to your story but there's so much of it in the book and I, i i i can't express enough how how much i think it's how much I'm connecting to it. I know how much my dad and my godfather connected to it. And, you know, I think, I think anybody else would, would definitely in, enjoy the read. So, you know, there's another uh, plug for it. I'll put it in here, like, I, but I really do. Like, I, I appreciate your words on, on your career because I think it does, there, there's this universal kind of connection to it, even if the, the, the beginning thoughts were just putting your... <laughs> what you went through on paper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for your interest. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, so my last question is, you know, you, you may not be, be running, but you know, what are you listening to to still kind of get you out the door, get you ready to go try to beat some people in pickleball or <laughs> go yeah, to a, I'm the pickleball guy <laughs> or go to a couple of easy miles. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'm going to be reading really soon is Kara Goucher has a new book coming out. That's so right. I don't know her, but I'm going to I'm going to read her book. I know that it sounds it's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, what I've been reading is um, uh, these I, I go in like a, in stages. These days I'm really interested in the Old West. So I'm reading like true, true biographies, firsthand accounts of what it was like to be in the old west and it is harrowing on both sides the native american and the you know european american sides is horrible stories a lot of cruelty and a lot of suffering but it's interesting so i'm really deep diving into that stuff when new distance running books come out i'll, I'll you know I'll, I'll buy them i'll read them i really love bill rogers book um marathon man by the way i want to plug bill rogers he's a great ambassador for running and Billy Mills, a great oh. ambassador for running. Henry Rono was helpful. All these old distance runners said, when my book came out, they they helped me out. They don't know me. I'm nobody to them. But they actually promoted my book for me and helped me out. Just some guy, right? So <laughs> that's the distance running community that I'm just so happy to be a part of. Right. Well, and that's, yeah. You So, I mean, the original first first uh print was like 2013 and then you did a, a reprint in 2020 right right and uh and and I'm, I'm just again i'm just finding it now and i i'm i i find it amazing so it's um uh, just put that out there but yeah it's it's that that running community there's just nothing like it right on especially the new mexican running community i really miss it Abs- absolutely it is just and the, the kids, the adult runners, everybody, the coaches, it's just, it's so, so tight knit. And it's just a great group to be with. And got to train at altitude. Absolutely. That is <laughs> so beneficial. <laughs> well, Tim, Timothy, thank you so much. Um, I was going to call you Timmy because Timmy, uh, two mile. <laughs> yeah. People still know me as Timmy two mile. 
It's, I, it's a moniker that I embrace, so it's, I'm not offended. I like it. It that's, is the old me, but it, it's um, it's full of passion, at least. That's and that's great. <laughs> so thank you again so much for your time. I, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I hope to to continue to stay in touch with you, actually. And um, you know, is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? Oh boy, that's wide open. Uh, I, w- I will say thank you for for having uh, uh, a wannabe distance god and also <laughs> ran on your show. I know that you interview true distance gods, so <laughs> I feel honored to be on your show, Seb. Thank you so much. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time, and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts, or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime... Keep running, New Mexico.